Welcome to the Televerse, streaming in place. Jingle jangle. Christmas beer socks. Yes. All right. That's how we should open this is with Christmas. Christmas beer socks. Yes. Welcome back to streaming in place. We're in week 41 of the everything, but it's almost the end of the year, everyone. It it's, is. We, we're almost done. <laughs> almost done. And to celebrate being almost done, we're taking a break from television programs because that 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 line is a little blurry these days because you get you get tv shows that are eight hour movies but this this is an actual movie (laughs) that we're discussing this today um we're discussing netflix's original film jingle jangle a christmas journey uh which is a musical starring uh forrest whitaker keegan michael key hugh bonville for like five seconds Nikononi Rose for way too short a brief period of time. And Felissa Rashad, which is also great. Now, listeners, there's a kitty on the Zoom, and I am distracted from the rest of this introduction because there's a kitty on the Zoom. No, it's okay, Scotty. Don't worry about it. Um, and also Ricky Martin um, is in this as well. So I'm excited to talk about this in part because I've watched this... Um, December like 5th. So this dropped originally on Netflix on November 13th. So like in time for like Thanksgiving ish, but my partner, I watched this after she saw some recommendations for it on her Twitter feed. And I generally really, really like this. I think it's pretty charming. I think that there's a lot of good elements in it. I think that structurally as a musical, it has issues. Um, We'll get into that in part because I really think that their big climax song is an end of act two song, but there is no act three <laughs> that follows it. Um, so we can talk about this, but I'm really curious to hear what Kate and Allison thought about Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey. Big, broad, big picture thoughts. Well, I'm going to start first here and say that if this is a movie... Uh-huh. I have different thoughts on it. If it is uh-huh. a TV movie, then I am charmed and very pleased. Oh God, but- we're wandering into the woods now. Here we go. We're just we're just getting into it. Listeners. Let's talk about Twin Peaks: The Return. Let's do yeah. it. Well, because if like if I had paid like twenty bucks between ticket and popcorn and like food or whatever. I mean, technically, you paid fourteen to watch this. Just, no, but just to watch that this one movie, I would mm-hmm. have a lot of problems with it. Sure. And if I had, you know, paid whatever my eyeballs are worth in like a half hour to forty five minutes of commercials, or if I had fast forward, I would have very few problems with this, right? So, mm-hmm. like, that is an important distinction for me. So, uh, in in the uh, yeah, so so I I know this is a thing that most people do not care about, but for me, if a if it's something is a Netflix original movie, because of how we all experience Netflix, that to me means it's a it's a, it's a TV movie because you watch next Netflix in ho- at home on your TV, or you watch it on your phone, or you watch it on your laptop. You do not watch it in a theater experience. So for me, I bring very different expectations for Netflix original projects. I guess. Okay, um, sure. So so that's sort of. Yes, it definitely has structural problems. It definitely has, um, but then why is, but why with this runtime, what is, 
what is happening, um, issues. But it's still very, very charming. And I mean, the whole thing was a win because I got to introduce my parents uh, to to Aniki Noni. Well, they knew Aniki Noni Rose, but that led led down a a Google, like, whirlpool because she has Tonys in multiple categories, which led to Audra McDonald. And my parents were not familiar with Audra McDonald somehow. The reaction in the Zoom is appropriate. Yeah, the shocks and horrified Holy cow. have lost their minds. Yes. And, oh my and, gosh. And listeners, my dad has a background in, in community theater and musical theater specifically. So, yeah. So, so then we then we listened to Audrey McDonald sing Maybe This Time from Cabaret and we talked about oh how actually she's like some she's too good of a singer for that song and yet she's so she good is. that she yeah. also then makes her voice worse so that it fits the song and she's amazing. Um which is a bit of a journey to go on from a starting point of Jingle Jangle, but I'll take it. Because now they know who Audrey McDonald is. The winning, you is know what that uh, is? Tony Award winner, by the way. She has six Tonys. Uh, uh, that that's a real uh, Christmas journey. That is yeah, a real thank Christmas you, journey. thank you, Allison. I was I was about to get there. I should um, specify that she is tied, but she has one Tony in four all four major acting categories for the Tonys. Um, so she's she's yeah she's goat. Anyways, Jingle Jangle was fun. Allison, what do you think? Yeah, Allison. Let's get into as also as like a professional television and film critic. <laughs> I'm really curious about your hot on um, your take on Kate's hot take about Netflix being made for TV movies when you've got stuff like Roma um, in the mix here. And like, it, it's a really fuzzy, interesting line that we can probably just spend an entire podcast. discussing. But Roma had cinematic presentations like it was you could go see it in the theater, right? It, yeah, but it was right. easy. Yeah, but it was but nearly impossible to do. It that. was designed to be seen in the theater and then they made it available on Netflix, which is different. For me. I don't know. I'm confusing. Scotty looks very confused. Uh, Allison, please go ahead. Um, you know, I, uh, there, there's a lot of debate around this issue. And the, the place that I tend to land is basically, um, uh, is it good? That's good. Uh, and, and that is sort of how I feel about it. That said, there is a lot of like, um, ooh, it's, this is all. I, this has nothing to do with Jingle Jangle, but I'm going to just touch on it real briefly. There's a lot of um, elitism uh, around TV as a medium when it comes into discussions about whether something is uh, is television or film, um, because there are things like. The Tale, which was uh, a sun, it was released at Sundance. It's a it's a Laura Dern movie um, from Jennifer Fox, who is a documentarian, and it's her first feature, and it's really incredible. Um, but it was acquired at Sundance by HBO, and then was released on HBO. So, is that a TV movie or is that a movie? I don't know. Um, it's a movie because I watched it as a movie. Does the fact that I watched it as a movie? at home mean that it is no longer a movie if i didn't see mary poppins in theaters is that no longer right so like there's all of that but then there are also questions and the reason this is such a big debate at the moment is because of small acts which um i'm sort of thinking of well i guess it's both it's a tv it's a series of movies released on television so it's both tv and movies but then we get into like 
oh, people just want, um, they just want to be able to win Emmys and Oscars. Like that is what is happening now. So I don't really know. I think that where I, the way I want to tie this back to Jingle Jangle is I come down to, um, basically if it's a movie, it's a, a single experience that you sit through that's, um, typically feature length and yes, uh, would probably be great as a cinematic experience, but this year has sort of thrown all of that out the window because who knows what movie theaters are going to look like in the future. Um, so uh, I think Jingle Jangle is a movie. I think it's um, it's not a prestige movie, but it's a movie, and um, that's fine, right? Like this would fit very comfortably on the shelf next to something like Hocus Pocus. Right. Like the nostalgia around Hocus Pocus had, has made it a classic. Hocus Pocus is a deeply flawed movie. Um, I love it. It's bad. Scotty is saying it's bad. Scotty. It's because it, it is. It's, it's not. It's not. It is. It is a. Uh, Clearly, it is we a, should have watched Hocus Pocus a couple of months ago. October. We'll do it in October. It's a it's an uneven movie. And Jingle Jangle is an uneven movie. But it's. Uh, it falls into what I'll think of as like a points for trying category where your bar is going to be lower because your expectations are not particularly high. And really, you're just here for a good time. You're not here to be moved or overpowered. And, and that is OK. Um, so I think it's a movie. Um, I am glad that I didn't pay $20 to see it in a theater as well. But I probably would have come out of the theater having a pretty good time. Right? I mean, like, I paid to see Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again in a theater. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and that, and I don't regret it. And that's not a good movie, but I enjoyed every second. And this is a very different experience from that. But, but yes, I think Jingle Jangle is a movie. And frankly, if, if Forrest Whitaker is your star, that's also points in, that's also points, good mm-hmm. points. That's good points. And he's very good in this. Like he is. he's ridiculously good in this. This is I, I teased this last week. I think this is one of my favorite performances of his in a while. Um, just because of the sheer Whitakerness of it in a lot of respects, but also just for me, and this I think kind of segues into like a discussion about the movie, is that he really car- carries guilt and sorrow in all of Adronicus's uh, performance that I find really deeply moving that fits within a mold of wanting to be a Scrooge-esque figure without being Scrooge. It's a different sort of bead on this kind of sorrow and sadness. Um, I have watched, by the way, like a number of Christmas Carol adaptations just this month, um, including one animated one with Kate Winslet, Nick Cage, Michael Gambon, uh, Reese Ifans. It's really bad. Um, it's called A Christmas Carol, the movie. Oh. Uh, came, yeah, no, it, it's, it, there's a whole extended sequence in which Scrooge has a bunch of people rounded up for the debtor's prison. They take some liberties. It's real dark. Um, but Nick Hitch does Jacob Marley, which is why we watched it. Um, uh, have you yeah, seen the it. FX Christmas Carol from last year? I have not. Kate and I actually discussed watching it, um, but we didn't get around to it. It is not good. That's another like, ooh, the Christmas Carol, but it's so dark, which yeah. I just... And this just... is this was an animated film for children because there oh, were two boy. mice like kind of arguing over the course of the movie. It's weird. Anyway, I'm getting distracted. Um, so where should we kind of start with this as like a Christmas 
fixture of a film because go ahead, Kate. Well, I think we should start with something that Scotty mentioned, which was I would, Scotty says I would have paid $20 in the theater to take a child if it delighted them. And I think that oh. is an excellent place to start from because yeah. okay. that is like, that completely recontextualizes it. I think like yeah. this is the kind like I was watching this movie. It's very charming. We've talked about the cast, um, and we will say more about like all of them, but the important cast that we have not talked about is Madeline Mills as Journey, who is the star of yes. this and is absolutely fabulous and wonderful. And she's the, the young granddaughter of Forrest Whitaker's Geronicus. Uh, it takes us a while to get to her, but then when she gets there, you're like, oh, this is the movie. Okay. Yeah. 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 I got it. This this works. Go team. Um, and she is absolutely delightful. Um, the, there's, like, thinking about this not just as, like, a like Christmas movie or as a family film, but as very specifically as a season, like, a holiday movie, but for kids that adults can enjoy and appreciate and that there is there's stuff in there for them as well. That really... Like, when she pops up on screen, you get the energy that the show's, the rest of the movie's going to be. I was like, ah, yeah, okay, I'm on board. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, this is, I think, her, like, first, like, pr- big production of any any sort. Uh, she gets the introducing credit, uh, which, I mean, doesn't always mean anything. Julie Roberts got an introducing credit in, like, Ocean's 12, but that was for good reason. That was really her first movie. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, she and also I want to also call out um, Lisa Davina Phillips, Philip, um, who plays the male woman of this of this of this tiny little town as uh, Ms. Johnston, who also had done a number of like theatrical work before this. Um, but this is her first like big TV production, um, who's also for me, she and Madeline Mills are the two big kind of breakouts for this um and mills in particular like you can't take your eyes off her when she's singing um it's hard to just turn away because she's just deeply charismatic even at whatever young age she is um and one of the things i do appreciate is that the songs are all really well calibrated for her which i really really appreciated um so yeah her energy and that character in particular journey's energy really carries you through a lot of stuff that also just kind of seems both fun and weird at the same time. Like, why is there suddenly this semi-sentient robot here? We don't know. Um, like, there's a precursor with the Ricky Martin um, Matador soldier Iago character. Um, but there's just all this really delightful energy that I think in, like, even lesser charismatic hands, I would not necessarily find as compelling if it weren't for Mills. Yeah, I think that's a good point about the songs. Um, these are the music is by um, uh, John Legend, uh-huh. and uh, the the songs uh, for me at least they aren't instantly memorable. Like I'm not, I didn't leave the the show, I didn't leave the movie like singing them, humming them, remembering the lyrics. But I really enjoyed them while they were happening, um, and particularly when you get a Nika Noni Rosen and let her do her thing. It happens mean, too late, and I have thoughts on when they could have introduced her sooner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I am get, like, there's enough issues with the, for me, with the, the some of the writing choices that I feel, it feels like, oh, no, we can get her for, like, two days. Yeah, so, it's very much that. Let's have the the mom show up just for these couple scenes. Um, she's a pro. She'll knock the her and Forrest Whitaker will knock out their scenes together in like two takes, and then we can move on. You know, um, but yeah, the it, that felt more like a 
it, I don't know, it just seems very strange. If if you were just r- mapping out the the plot on paper, like just g- looking through the script or whatever, like you said, there's like there's where's the third act? There's um, where like there, the, where's the big closing number? Where's like the you know there there's a lot of question marks around it. Um, but the part that you at least I never had a question about was Journey and that performance specifically. Like, the, the book ending thing is. Real dumb. It was like, you're making me not like Felicia Rashad, which that's, how do you do that? Congratulations. Um, but but everything with her I really liked. Uh, Allison, were you similarly bowled over? Yeah. Wow. Um, what a find. Like, how, wherever, however they found her. Um, I cannot wait to see her in more things. Uh, and that's true of a lot of people in the cast, honestly. It's, uh, some of these people obviously are quite famous, but not all of them. And I was really uh, charmed as a whole uh, by the cast and the obvious enthusiasm that they brought to the project. Um, that's <laughs> something it has in common with my other suggestion of something we could watch today, which is Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square, another Netflix original mm-hmm. of dubious quality but boundless charm. Um and it's just there's just nobody there's nobody phoning it in and i love that um but yeah she is obviously the star i will however say uh that i was nearly as delighted by keegan michael key as i was by her because he is having a great time that takes me to my next question which is like these these uh uh these plot things because like you you keep waiting for them to redeem him because of the way that they set him up and the time that they put into like this and then they don't and then there's like and so they're like wait but then why do we spend the energy on that why like did we slow down the pacing for you know now you do get to fully enjoy i think one of my favorite parts of the whole thing is when you get to the end and realize like there's an off button (laughs) You've been dealing with this piece of crap, like, painting your ass toy harassing you for 30 years, and you, <laughs> you could have just, like, taken the battery out. Um, absolutely delightful. Worth it for, you know, everything else that we get to there for that moment. But I was very confused by some of the writing choices, and that was a big one of them. Yeah, it felt like I've been, um, for both personal reasons and, like, just like enjoyment reasons and work reasons. I've been reading and watching a lot of romance novels and romance novel adaptations lately. And one of the great pleasures of those is that you feel the tropes coming, right? You, you understand that they're sort of taking things that are recognizable, plugging them in intentionally. You're supposed to know what's coming as a result of all the signifiers. And that is part of the experience. Um, and, I felt like that was what was happening here. And then they just didn't follow through with most of it. Like I was really waiting for Keegan-Michael Key to learn, for Gustafson, sorry, to learn the true meaning of Christmas or something, right? You're absolutely right that they were setting up some sort of redemption arc. Um, and it, the way it ends, pretty dark. It's pretty dark. Um, yeah. He gets arrested and has to go to prison. Yeah, and like, yeah, it's that's not... I mean, don't steal somebody's life's work. Um, don't do that but also uh maybe don't make me think that this is a three-dimensional character whose journey i'm supposed to invest in if really he's just a bad guy yeah and i think that a lot of that also for me i never really saw that there was a redemption arc for gustafson coming like i just saw him as this guy who got in over his head because he stole and just kept stealing and then was just like i'm out of ideas and i have to go back to this one thing that never worked um 
So I never really saw a redemption arc for him. What I kept waiting for was an escalation of his just desperation, which is why, like, I really like the Make It Work song, which is our big climax song, which should be the end of Act 2 when we get to Act 3 and everything goes to hell, um, which doesn't happen because Gustafsson's last gambit is, I have a contract. <laughs> and it's like, buddy, this is not going to work in this movie. <laughs> Um, but there was space in that song for him to like come up with a plan basically was my big thing of like the minor key change of make it work was a, I'm making my scheme work kind of deal. In addition to the reconciliation of my family with uh, Geronicus and with Anikononi Rosu, who's a J who I can't remember off the top of my head. Jessica Jangle. Come on. Oh God. It's so good. All the names in this are very good. Um, that it just never I was really surprised when nothing came about from that and that was the surprise for me it was not the he didn't learn the true meaning of Christmas even though he sort of does a little bit because he gets the present that he always wanted um, from Geronicus but then we get that if you watch through the credits you get that sequence of the like puppet animated version of him sitting in his cell with the little gyro whirly thing and just going woof dark and he didn't even do anything really really bad just bad um in the con in the context of to your point allison like christmas narrative tropes like he didn't do anything really terrible but he's in prison and all he's got for a company is this little toy from his childhood which feels kind of grim (laughs) yeah well let's talk about some of the other question marks that i had uh which is like we we really liked the the child acting from Journey, um, the book ending child acting, not so hot. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> uh, all it's all kind of bad. I kept I was like I kept waiting to find like what happened with the girl. Why does she look so like? Can you read the night before Christmas? And it's like it looks like somebody like I don't know stepped on her dog or something. It's like I was like there must be more there. No, no, there's not. She just doesn't want to. And then like the reveal of the family name was, and, and then like, they look out the window is like, there's a factory there. You never wondered why there's a, what that factory is about. You just never noticed it before. And you know, our name is Jangle. And I guess, I guess it's the daughter. So maybe, maybe she married someone and took their name. So they have a different name, but like, come on, really, really this ending. Was I the only one? It was, it was, it was, it very much felt like it was attached to a different draft. Um, which was, surprising to me that it didn't it didn't provide as well a sense of a bookend because like you i had the same issue of like this idea of like finding the christmas magic kind of deal or finding the magic in the everyday which i think is also one of my favorite things about this movie is the fact that the idea of a christmas spirit is actually tied to imagination really specifically here and that is an everyday thing to treasure and really push that creativity um so i like that it's not tied to the yuletide here um but it does feel really silly <laughs> when it's like hey by the way this is your fact this is this is your heritage it's this toy factory that's taking up half the city <laughs> <laughs> that i feel like they would have been informed about before now <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i am um... this robot's been hiding for your entire life <laughs> I had similar issues, but I guess I'm one of the tropey things that I'm a sucker for is like, 
ooh, it's the next generation, right? Like the broom boy at the end of The Last Jedi is basically a trope aimed squarely at me, like, boom, enjoy that, and I always will. So um, so the conceit of um, our bookending girl staring into the fire and maybe seeing the beginnings of, like, inventing inspiration and this, like, fiery language that they get worked for me. Um, but, yeah, it's a little a – little, some some plot holes some like credulity questions which is i mean it's jingle jangle a christmas journey so i think probably i shouldn't be thinking too hard but still yeah i agree the the gear reveal reveal in the hair just like has she, has she never worn those before or have they just never noticed that she has gears in her hair and also journey did too and also she has the same hairstyle like tie through to her hairstyle at this age <laughs> that she did when she was a child like it was and, and it, like i i have similar issues but in a obviously much 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 worse way with wonder woman 84 where i'm just like at a certain point like all the tiny little details i'm like but this makes no sense. Why electricity? But not for that person. And I won't say more because spoilers for people who haven't seen it yet. But like, haven't similarly, seen there's made for TV movie Wonder Woman 1984. Made for TV woman, <laughs> yeah, Wonder Woman 1984. Um, it is currently like, in theaters. Just don't don't yeah. go to theaters. Just don't go to theaters. Don't do it. Uh, but yeah, so there's little things. I was like, but why with then with the the uh, okay okay it's hurting my brain. Um, we have an excellent comment here from Marcus who says the Maduro toy definitely seemed like the bad guy from the opening setup scenes, but then he was hardly in it. Um, and my headcanon was that while the story was being told, the house itself began to fly and moved to the town that had the factory. That makes because as much sense not? as anything in this movie, Marcus. That's terrific. Yeah, that's very good. Good it's job, Marcus. Good. Yeah, well done, Marcus. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, we we don't, we have a lot of time left, so we should probably talk about the things we like because there were a lot of them. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, a lot of things. I, it was just very straight. Like there was some because there's some stuff that works like gangbusters, right? There's some stuff that's really really successful for me, and a lot of it has to do with Forrest Whitaker. Maybe now it's time we talk about him. But then there would be these other. It was like the same people wrote all the drafts of this because like. I'm very, I'm very confused why these scenes are so good and these scenes don't make any guns. Yeah, so all of this was uh, written and directed by David E. Talbert, um, who is uh, an uh, African-American playwright here in the United States. Um, for a little while, um, they tried to make him the next Tyler Perry in a lot of ways. A lot of his film, a lot of his plays got um, filmed adaptations that then went directly to video. Um, and some of them were actually really successful um, in terms of like, post profit and that kind of a thing um and so i was kind of familiar with him because i worked at blockbuster when his play started getting circulated um on video and he rented out really consistently in my market um but i don't think he ever really quite took off but he's directed and written and directed a number of other like films since then and this is his most recent one um so yes the same person wrote all of this but I do agree with you that there's just weird, like, inconsistencies in the overall kind of quality of it. Um, so, yeah. But, no, the same person did write all of this and also directed all of this, too. Which I think the direction is definitely really, really complete throughout, I think. Um, I have, like, weird technical issues with some of it because the synchronization for some of this is really mealy. Um, in the big music, in the big group numbers um the sync is way off sometimes and sometimes the limp sync is really mealy but when it's just one-on-one everything i think is really well done um but yeah the writing is sometimes just a little bit of a mess 
Um, and Scotty says Miss Johnston was played so broadly, and I love every single damn second. God bless her. Yeah, this was uh, uh, Devine Phillips, Philip, who I think is great in this, and I cannot wait for everyone to just discover her and give her so much more work because she is so 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 good in this. Um, I really liked her. That was that was the big surprise for me was her um, because I kid actor you get you get you get you get what you get. Sometimes you get really good like you get here. But with her, she's done a number of work over in London on the UK stage. And so having her pop up here was a real delight because I was like, yes, oh, goodness, please be casting everything going forward. Yeah, she was great. I I agree. A real highlight. Um, uh, I, if we're talking about things we like, I want to talk about the design broadly, but specifically the costumes, which are terrific. Um, like really thoughtful, fun, obviously it's all fantasy. None of it is supposed to look anything like reality, um, which I love. That's fine. I don't care. Um, but the colors and the shapes and the textures and sort of, it sort of makes it feel old fashioned, but also removed from time and, um, a little bit sci-fi and futuristic in places, um, influences from many different decades and like different, features of American culture and specifically African American culture. It's really cool. Um, yeah. all, and that's true again of all of the designs, but the costume design in particular just knocked me on my ass. Uh, did, did you have a similarly strong reaction? Oh yeah. Well I did because Scotty just called out Wizard of Oz for Gustafson. And that's what I picked up on as well was the fact that he gets a heavy Emerald city vibe with his factory. And then where everything's sort of a weird lie. And in fact, everything is a lie because he's just, he's just the charlatan. Um, Gustafson is, but also the wizard. Um, so I, I picked up on that as well. And I really appreciate it. I, I just turned to my partner and just went, this is just Emerald city. They've just done Emerald city here. And I love it. Like, it's just a really fun little, um, nod to that, but also do like your point, Allison, like I love when Geronicus's shop gets turned into the pawn shop and it's just filled with clutter and knickknack, which is a, my favorite kind of like thrift store pawn shop. But B, it just feels like such a visual representation of what Geronicus's inner interiority is now. Um, and having it express that is really beautiful, but also just it looks really like a really great place to like play, basically, which then we get a big number dancing around in it as like kind of starts to filter in as Ms. Johnston tries her best to seduce Geronicus. <laughs> I like that they didn't just play her up as, like, flirty or thirsty. She's very specifically interested in him. She's yes. like, you know, it's it's not just like she really needs a date with whoever's available and he's the only single guy. It's not that. It's that she can see some of what is there and that, you know, in in him and, you know, mm-hmm. would would like him to be who she has a reason to think is is there inside and it we know is um so that that was really that was really neat um with the gustafson uh design even the font for the g is like drawing on the the font for the o for the oz for oz like it mm-hmm. it's the 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 balance of like reference and originality there is absolutely terrific i loved it um yeah like the it, it, it's it's really well put together and designed and like that's that's what makes it such a weird movie for me because there's so much that's really lovely and i could absolutely see this especially if like 
this is for younger kids or people who are younger now will watch it like every year. I could totally see it. Absolutely. Talking about with Johnston also the the three the, like the backup singers. Like oh the, yeah. Fabulous. The backup little dancers. Greek chorus that just follows her Amazing. around. It's just beautiful. I mean, she deserves singers. it. She yes. deserves Absolutely. it. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, To the Wizard of Oz note, the other reference that I kept picking up on throughout this is to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, right. um, Which I think is really cool and smart. And particularly the scene where Gustafson approaches Journey um, after they first found Buddy and they're in the alley. It felt Mm -hmm. like a very deliberate Willy Wonka reference to me. Yeah. which I love. And when you're able to, and this is obviously aimed at least in part at families, but when you're able to sort of tie in these other um, properties that grownups are going to have emotional connections to, that's a really great way to sort of shorthand some things. Uh, and it, and that aspect of it I found really fun. And of course, it's not the same, remotely the same story, but there's a similar kind of, um, I don't know, uh, like, a rundown exterior with promise behind it and some like the um the wisdom and strength and creativity of children as a potent force and like all of that stuff so i yeah. uh, thought that was pretty cool as well oh, absolutely totally like 100 percent. yeah 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 and there's even for me like weird elements of like hugo as well to some of this as well um which is a weird pull i think uh, scotty's giving me a yes pointing at the camera um which i also find really weird is i don't think hugo has a lot of cultural cachet among anyone um i've only ever seen it once myself um and it should be something that's very much in my wheelhouse and i i remember not really liking it but it's been a very long time since i've watched it um but definitely like all of buddy was very much like a hugo sort of experience for me um so i think that there's a lot of really good pastiche happening within Jingle Jangle, that there's a lot of influences mixing and mingling that I really, really like. Um, so I guess, like, did anyone have, like, any favorite songs? Um, we oh, mentioned Make It Work, uh, Make it work is, like, the, the best, best song. song. Yes. Um, I kept, one of the things I did want to point out is not the only one is a great song to introduce us to Journey, um, but it was also, like, the one point where I'm just like, why isn't this a duet between Journey and Jessica? So we get more Nicanoni Rose singing because it would have worked perfectly um, to have mother and daughter sing that song together um, in some capacity as like maybe rejigger it just a smidge, but just, I think that there's a really good like duet there between the two of them to also reintroduce us to Jessica where she is in her life now as well. Um, we don't get that. And, and as a result, we don't get any more Nicanoni Rose than we deserve. <laughs> Because um, we deserve all of it. <laughs> um, well, Scotty also mentions that Buddy the robot looks like number five from Short Circuit, and uh, and oh, Wally. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Also, very good pulls. Yeah. He does look very Wally. Yeah. He even sounds very Wally. He does. Um, uh, yeah. No. The the songs. That's why I was so like puzzled by some of them because it was like okay, but also, but you have Anika Noni Rose, and you're not using her, and I'm. <laughs> Why are you not? Why are you not using her? This I have to assume that that, yeah, that no, is availability, availability cost. for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, she is very interested in the work that she's doing as a producer as well. Like, if you look at the stuff that she's up to currently, there's a lot of that. So she's obviously being very um, particular about the projects she chooses to get involved in, which I think is super cool. Um, so yeah, I suspect this was a <laughs> scheduling thing because it's not like a Nick and Rose is going to be like, could I sing less? 
Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, like, right. she's not not going to do this. This made me want to rewatch The Princess and the Frog so bad, and I watched yeah. it recently. Um, <laughs> if you've never, if you uh, aged out of your Disney days and have not revisited uh, the world of Disney, Kate, have you never seen it? I've never seen it. Oh, Kate, we might have to do a little like. Like, ne- it's not on Netflix, it's Disney Plus, but like a little watch party because it is, that's a delight. It's a great score. Mm-hmm. And she Craig is. David gives a great performance in it. It's really yep, good. Craig David is great. And um, mm-hmm. it's just, yeah, it's a really, it's a really good one. And her, the, it's some of the great Disney ballads of the, of the last, you know, 30, 40 years. Um, Jennifer Lewis, too. There's a great Jennifer Lewis yes. song. There is, yeah. Um, anyway. See, and for Nicononi Rose, I just go to the number one ladies detective agency, where she, which she's in and is absolutely fantastic as like the uh, secretary who works in the agency. So if people haven't seen it, it's on HBO, uh, HBO Max, and it stars Jill Scott and also Nicononi Rose as a supporting character. I'm enjoying the expressions happening in the Zoom, but yes, it's a detective <laughs> show. It's fabulous shot in, Bot- in Botswana, set in Botswana. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Scotty, you, you have can blown watch that Scotty's next. mind. Yeah, it's really, Scotty hasn't. It's really Scotty fabulous. hasn't been able to join us on the Zoom for months, and now it's just like her head is exploding. So <laughs> I, I can seek out Princess and the Frog. You seek out Number One Ladies Detective Agency. One season on HBO. It's very good. I I certainly will. That's been on my get to it list for a while. Um, uh, to that end, if you want one more fun and Nicki Rose thing to seek out, I highly recommend finding the uh, original Broadway cast recording of Carolina Change, um, which is one of the things that sort of made her career. She's not the lead in that. That's Tanya Pinkins, who is also incredible. Um, but that is the the Tony Kushner musical, which is not a thing okay, right. that like yeah. sounds like it should exist. But there is a Tony Kushner musical, and it is excellent, and she is in it. Well, do we want to throw it to Marcus and Scotty to share any thoughts if they have it? Um, hello. Uh, um, you mentioned earlier, it's interesting, like, what what do you do with a movie that's for Christmas and is, is clearly a Christmas movie in terms of, like, energy and message of belief and the sort of joyful childlike costume, like, these fantasy costumes that, like, kind of reference a classical dickens or nutcracker but are definitely it's in its own world um and this is something that i like because i feel like christmas and like a christmas movie is almost always now specifically the secular holiday of christmas and what that means is like kind of a nebulous concept and i get i'm really i really want movies to pin it down so like for example love actually they often say like well because it's christmas you tell the truth because it's Christmas, I say I love you. Well, it's like, well, okay, well, wait, hang on. What is Christmas? What do you guys mean? There's no sort of like shared understanding of like what Christmas is. And like, sometimes it's like a Christmas carol. Very clear. We don't, we don't really talk about Jesus in adaptations of Christmas carol, but we're very clear about what Christmas and the Christmas spirit mean and require of us. But then like your Hallmark movies, your whatever, it can get really like, Aah be nice presents I don't fucking know (laughs) and I like that this movie is like is a Christmas movie but its message is contained and is not necessarily referring like you were saying it's not referring to Christmas the holiday it's referring to your potential and your family connections and your own um, gifts and creativity and belief in yourself 
and it's all really clear and not not doesn't have that muddy kind of vague just believe in love and presence and um and i i thought that was really impressive and and that's what i would want in a christmas movie for kids nowadays like it's got to be about something it can't just be about sort of tinsel and general having to show up for Christmas because it's Christmas. What does that Christmas because it's Christmas? What does that even mean? Um, And I also couldn't help think about um, like Forrest Whitaker's scenes after Jessica has left and he's lost his book of inventions and how broken down and he is unable to do the thing that he is the best in the world at. And I, don't know if I was reading too much into it, but I couldn't help but think about, um, see it as a metaphor, even though Gustafson is also played by a black actor, thinking about it as a metaphor of like the creativity and value that was taken over basically all of American history, hopefully ending with our generation, but what was taken from black people and you, I, I couldn't help but see that as a metaphor for like what, when you rob people of their gifts and their potential, how tragic and, um, and devastating that can be both for them and their families and their communities. So that was like a sort of extra layer of significance that I thought the film did really well. Well, and also just the idea of, okay, we'll just do it again. Just start over. It's like, that's, it's not how... Like, that's not how it works. And it's so wounding. Like, yeah, I guess you can take my work, but it's ultimately a house built on sand. Like, it's not yours. It's mine. And you're derivative and you couldn't even figure out an off switch for a robot. Well, and I I don't think you're necessarily reading too much into it because I was skimming the IMDb page and all the shops in Cobbleton are actually named after African-American inventors. Um, So I don't think you're reading too much into it. I think you're you're finding a good through line there <laughs> that the set design backs up. These are excellent points. Uh, Marcus, did you want to share anything? Or are you good? <laughs> I could share some things, but I don't think I have anything as thoughtful as what Scotty <laughs> said. So I feel it's okay. Little... She's making us all look bad. It's good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Well, fair. What did you think? Were you, would you have sought this out otherwise? Uh, probably not. Um, I don't watch too many Christmas things. Because generally, a lot of them aren't very good. (laughs) Okay. But um, this one was half good, half a mess. Um, I really liked kind of the world they built and kind of the magic and wonder part of it. Um, I spent a lot of time watching the movie trying to figure out how things worked because it supposed to seem like magic, but then they also were like, subtly referencing like quantum mechanics and mm-hmm. just I was trying to like look at the math that they're doing and it's like it doesn't really like yes it's math quantum mechanics is magic and you can't tell me otherwise <laughs> yeah it was just kind of like okay I don't see how that equation would have anything to do with like the sentience of a robot but okay I think the songs were a little hit or miss um there's a couple I liked and then there's I think my least favorite was very opening song because they started the movie with like these kind of crazy inventions and wonder then they broke into a musical number that didn't have that 
kind of wonder to it. It's just more of a conventional one. And it kind of almost killed the that vibe a bit. So I think there's like some unevenness in that way, but it was it was a good movie overall, I think, and uh some very good performances in it. Yeah. I think we're all pretty much on the same page with that, at least. Thanks, Marcus. And thanks, Scotty, for sharing your thoughts on it. Yeah. And thanks, oh. Mo. Yeah. Whose oh, chin is on Scotty's ass. knee most adorably. Looking very cute. Um, the last thing I wanted to mention is, uh, because we haven't mentioned it yet somehow, the animation um, for all the clockwork stuff was so cool. Very I really cool. loved that design. And, like, that was really, really awesome. Yeah, it was really neat. And it was a really... Um, a really good way of sort of uh, emotionally gut punching you sometimes, right? Without making it overwhelmingly sad. Like I think, um, particularly filling in the the blanks between young Geronicus and Forrest Whitaker Geronicus, using the animation, the sort of clockwork thing that they're doing, um, allowed the story to get sad in a way that wasn't nearly as visceral as it might have been. Cause this is, I enjoyed this quite a lot, but it's not good enough to sort of pull me out from like, wow, this is depressing. Um, if I hadn't had right. that distance. Whitaker's already kind of in that mode anyway. Totally. Like, totally. I don't, I don't need, I don't need anything else doing that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, um, so I appreciate that as well. I also realized, um, while we're talking about the music, uh, I also really liked Magic Man G, mm-hmm. which was like a really fun. I love a good villain number, and I love a big production number. Um, and this is not—it's not on the level of you know your poor unfortunate souls is say, yeah. uh, but it's but that was a really good number as well. That's the one that is still in my head. Yeah, it's good. That's the, that's the catchiest one. Yeah, yeah it's very yeah. catchy. By far and away. Um, well, if you don't have anything else, um, what are we discussing on Wednesday? Are we getting back to Lodge 49 or what are we doing on Wednesday? We haven't talked about that. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> I guess we probably should have discussed that. <laughs> are we doing Lodge 49? I'm fine with Lodge 49 season two. Sure. Okay, great. great. So Wednesday, we'll discuss the Lodge 49 <laughs> season two and Allison goes back to hosting. Um, uh, so Allison, what's the first episode? <laughs> For Lodge 42 season 2. 49. I'm pulling it up now. All I remember is that the opening is really cool. Um, the opening of this episode. All circles vanish. All circles vanish. Oh, man. I mean. Well. Well, who? what could vanish? We have. Uh, we, we, is Cheech Marin going to vanish? <laughs> um, Gosh, I hope not. With, he just got here. With the van? <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Well, hopefully, okay, hopefully we we get Dud to the hospital and he's okay. Um more okay than the than the captain. Um and uh captain. I don't know. I don't know what else. I, I'm not sure. I've got um, nothing. We've been too far out from Lodge 49 for me to have anything. I mean, you also um it would be very difficult to guess some of the things that happen in this episode, so Hey, they're, they're I, I got hijinks. the harpoon gun right, so I mean, but you know, <laughs> you introduce true. a harpoon gun in Act One. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, looking forward to it though. Yeah, let's. Uh, we'll jump back in with the Dudleys. Hopefully, they're pulling their shit together. They won't. They're be. getting their lives in order. They won't be. <laughs> they won't be. <laughs> 
No, okay. you have to sign. You have I to have to sign. Yeah, you're still you're the host, Noel. Kate kind of took over there, so I was just going to kind of let her finish. No, so um, thank you, Marcus and Scotty, for hanging out with us. Um, and listeners, we'll be back on Wednesday to discuss Lodge Forty Nine. Oh, Mo, oh, you dear sweet summer child. Um, we'll be back on Wednesday to discuss Lodge Forty Nine, Season Two, Episode One. All circles vanish. Thanks, thanks a lot, everyone. Happy New Year. Bye. Almost. Well, Happy New Year. Happy almost, almost New Year. Yeah. yeah. Bye. <laughs>